everybody. Welcome to the Hidden Gems Podcast. This is the show where we look at a streaming service and we get you to dive into uh, the hidden gems, the, the less obvious tracks, and have a great time watching some really fun movies and shows. And I'm film critic Rachel Wagner and Ryan is here. Uh, hey, Rachel. It's so great to be with you once again. And uh, this is an exciting week because we're getting a kaiju movie in theaters and I am so excited. Like, I, I don't care... The, the, I don't care about the thoughts of most people in regarding this current MonsterVerse. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of people that are not big fans. I get it, but man, whether or not this Godzilla vs. Kong movie is good or bad, I'm going to enjoy myself. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited to be going back to the theater. I mean, I have been a few times, but but there hasn't been a big blockbuster movie screening in a long time. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I really didn't like the last one. So let's just hope fingers crossed that I like this, uh, this new one. So yeah. I'm going it with the highest of expectations. So we'll see. I'm just glad, I'm just glad things have improved to the point where we can be able to see Godzilla versus Kong on the big screen, because I love my 4k television. Don't get me wrong, but there yeah. are some movies that were just, born and bred to be shown on the biggest screen that you could ever ask for and mm-hmm. that that's where movie theaters come in. yeah it's true it's no doubt about it and so it's gonna be uh it's gonna be fun but today we have netflix that we're talking about so we're going back to the small screen and we got some pretty fun uh, recommendations indeed Yes. And I wanted to real quick give my thoughts on the new Netflix film A Week Away. And I was, I, I thought going into it, though, this is going to be one I'm going to recommend as one of my picks uh, because I love Bailey Madison. She is a Hallmark girl. She was on The Good Witch for a bunch of years. She's a very sweet actress. But unfortunately, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. I really like uh, teenage musicals, high school musicals, whatever you want to call them. I like Disney Channel original musicals, but for some reason, I feel like they've had a hard time anybody trying to sort of use that formula. I saw Best Summer Ever at South by Southwest, and that I didn't enjoy. And then this, I just thought it was extremely bland. None of the choreography was very interesting. None of the songs were very interesting. I mean, I couldn't even tell you hardly a single song except for maybe the covers. And it was a faith-based film, but like not in an interesting way or didn't, it felt kind of tacked on. It just wasn't, I don't know, they have Sherry Shepard. She wasn't very funny. Dave Kircher, he wasn't funny. I just felt like it was all very, very underwhelming and disappointing. So I cannot give a recommendation to a week away. I don't think it's like horrible or anything, but uh, it was not as good as I was hoping it would be. So I would probably give it two stars out of five for a week away. So I want to give my quick review of that. So let's move on and talk about our picks that we do have for the uh, Netflix Hidden Gems this week. Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I had no idea that that movie a week away was even a thing before <laughs> I saw your reveal on Twitter. I'm like, wait what is a week away? And then, and yeah, I knew about it because we had tried to have Bailey Madison on the podcast, but she was too, she, she wasn't able to do it. And so I was kind of anticipating it and it was, it wasn't great, but let's talk about some things that are fun. <laughs> sure. Yes. So why don't you go first? What's one of your picks? So my first choice 
is a movie from 2012, and it's it involves a or actually 2011 brain fart. It's a Sunday, <laughs> but my first choice is from 2011, and it is a movie that combines many things that I love, including Hugh Jackman, robots, and boxing. It's called Real Steel. Uh, this was directed by Sean Levy, who was primarily known as a producer on movies like Arrival and TV shows like Stranger Things. So he's been pretty successful as of late. But it tells a story of the near future where robot boxing has officially become a sport. And one of the people trying to make it is a man named Charlie Kenton, played by Hugh Jackman. He kind of sucks at this kind of thing, but he's trying to make do with what he has. But then he comes across the fact that he has a son named Max, played by Dakota Goyo, I think it's how it says his name. And they together come across this really junky looking robot. However, it's one of those don't judge a book by its cover things. And it turns out that this robot is actually pretty good at what it does. And it leads up to this really big fight at the end. And I think, I think the best way I could describe this movie is like Rocky crossed with Rock'em Sock'em Robots, that game where it's like the red and the blue knight are just going at it like that. I'm sure we all played Rock'em Sock'em Robots at one point or another. It's a live action version of that. However, this surprisingly has a lot of heart to it. I mean, Hugh Jackman's in here. He's Hugh Jackman. Of course, he's going to be good in like 99% of the things that he's in. Evangeline Lilly's in there. She's good. Anthony Mackie, who is in, who's currently in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he's really good in here as well. And like I said, this movie definitely has a lot of Rocky influences to it, like even down to like the final fight where I don't know if I should spoil the outcome, but basically it's like Hugh Jackman's robot kind of doesn't win, but he gets the moral victory, if that makes any sense. He goes the distance. And it's, and it's all done very well. This movie definitely fell under the radar when it came out, and I kind of understand why, but at the same time, if you're looking for a movie with like a ton of heart, with really relatively good casting choices and a lot of really good effects, because the effects and the fights in this movie are just brutal, even though they're robots, they're like pretty much steel and gears and stuff, you still are like, Oh, that was a hard punch right there. So it's the movie does a good job of showing just how brutal these fights can be. If you're into that kind of thing, then definitely check it out. Yeah, I think this is a perfect pick for Hidden Gems because this is a movie that fell under the radar that people didn't see or didn't see enough of it to get any more movies of it or to really get it talked about. But it's actually really solid and really charming. And uh, it, yes, it's predictable, but who cares? It's really well done, very well executed. And Hugh Jackman is really good in it. It's just a really fun little uh, kind of sports movie with a futuristic uh, little moments about it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love... Um... I love some of the, uh, I love the arenas that, that, that they have. They go from like these little backyard, like alley fight kind of places to like the Madison Square Garden of this kind of thing. It's, it's a nice little visual trick of showing that they're literally starting from the bottom and working their way up. I like that. I like the spirit. Mm -hmm. I think so too. I agree. It's a very good choice. Well, my first choice is something that 
won't be that hidden if you've been following me on Twitter because I've been talking about it 24-7 since I first discovered it in February, I think it was. I started watching this show on Netflix called Kim's Convenience. And it turns out it's a, a CBC show that had been airing since 2016 over in Canada. And now they finally got it over in uh, in Netflix. And so I watched, I, I mean, I rarely binge watch shows but I binge watched Kim, Kim, Kim's Convenience because I just couldn't stop watching it. It was so good. I absolutely adored it. I did a whole review of it because I liked it so much. And it's just, it's such a funny show and such a sweet show. I, I, I don't think that there's a bad episode. I really don't. It's, it's about this family, the Kim's family in Toronto that, that own this convenience store. It's based on a play about uh, this guy uh, in Detroit, his life and uh, his family. And the play was a super big hit. And then they, and I've read the play and it's really good. And they made it into this, um, this series. And it's very sad because they announced the, cancellation of the series that we were going to get six seasons and now we're only going to get five which is a huge bummer but nevertheless you can watch the four right now the fifth is playing right now on C on the cbc so if you have a vpn or whatever you can watch it but i just love the show i think it is so good it, it probably is in one of my top 10 favorite shows ever i love it it's so funny I was just going to ask, didn't this show get canceled recently? Yeah, it's very sad. <laughs> and it's so sad because it's not even, it doesn't have anything to do with the audience or the actors or anything like that. It's just the creators for some reason decided they didn't want to do it anymore, which is just bizarre. I, I don't maybe, know. Maybe playing devil's advocate, but maybe they just ran out of ideas. And the worst thing that could happen to a sitcom like this is just, stringing itself along you know just like it, soon they'll introduce a baby into the picture and then then a new job will come up and then just trying desperate yeah. things to try and freshen things up but i think at least we should have a have a like including movie to to like finish everything up that yeah. Do the, thing, would, do the thing that Joss like Whedon Christmas. did with Firefly, only having one season of Firefly and then having Serenity to tie it all together. Yeah, because there's like a big plot between the father character, Appa, and the and the son character and their, their estrangement. And we never got that moment where they truly kind of make up and, and uh, that would have been nice, just things like that. So I think at the very least uh, it's when everybody else was planning on it, when the actors were all planning on it, when the, for the creatives to pull the rug on it, it's very unusual at the very least. And so it was kind of disappointing, but nevertheless, the show is great. And it's kind of, it manages to kind of be two different shows at once. Cause you have everything going on at the store with, and the family with the Appa and Uma and, and the the daughter Janet and her shenanigans. You have that all kind of going on, and that's hilarious. And then you have everything going on with the son and his his best friend and Kimchi, uh, who work at this who work at this uh, car rental place. And the boss, her name is Shannon, and she is so funny. <laughs> so you have kind of this sort of office part, 
uh, type office office type show in the auto rental place the dynamic and then you have uh, the store part with the smart family and modern family kind of as as Miss show and it's all done very well and I don't know I just I can't say enough good things about it I thought it was just great so people should people should watch it I mean a lot of people know about it now be I hear it talking about more, but there's still a lot of people. I'm like, have you watched Skin Convenience? And they're like, what is that? And so that's why I thought it was worth bringing up for uh, Hidden Gems. Well, maybe maybe this will get a cult status, and then like ten years down the line, it'll be rebooted again, or like have that season five or six. <laughs> I hope I will see. Who knows? But it's a great show. You know, stranger things have happened. Mm-hmm. hopefully be, if they do do it it would be better than the rest of development season uh season well, five and six i think it was the ones on netflix Whew, they were bad yeah, they, they pushed for arrested development season five and six so hard i remember being a netflix so subscriber bad. when they were still doing the dvd thing where you got them in the mail and oh you yeah the, like kids back in the day netflix used to send dvds you know <laughs> Like it, it wasn't that long ago, but there were Arrested Development ads everywhere on that thing. And I'm just like, wow, they really want this to work. And I don't really think it did. Yeah, it was really bad. I thought it was terrible. But what do you have next? So my next choice is one of the biggest surprises that I, uh, that I watched in all of the 2010s. It's the Angry Birds movie 2. The first Angry Birds movie is god-awful. Like, there is no redeeming it. It is one of the, just a truly just terrible movie. When I walked out of that, I turned it to Roger Ebert, who was reviewing Brain Candy from Kids in the Hall. He was like, stupid, horrible, no good, terrible. And and Gene Sissel's trying to consult with him. And they're like, no, you don't understand. And Roger's just like, horrible, no good, bad. And just, that was me. I hated that movie. Uh-huh. So when a sequel came out, I was like, God bless me. Well, I'll, I'll try and see it anyway. And <laughs> that's what I ended up doing. And honestly, I really liked it. And I 100% did not think that I would. To the point that when I tweeted out saying, The Angry Birds 2 is really good. And I didn't think that I would like it. The director of this movie, Thorg Van Orman, actually retweeted my tweet and said, why, of course it is, my friend, with a winky emoji. So that's like one of the only times that a director has ever gone out of their way to like any of my stuff. But but side note, this movie is actually really, really good for a movie that is basically a tie-in to a mobile app that I don't think many people play anymore, or I haven't played it in years. And... It just is a sequel to a movie that I hated. And it actually turned out to be quite imaginative. I love the cast in this. Jason Sudeikis is good. Josh Gad is funny. Uh, Bill Hader's good in there as well. Aquafina's in there. She's good. I like the animation. I like that they actually went to different islands, like in the style of the mobile game, and how each island is different. I like the spirit of that as well. And... I don't know. There's just some parts that are silly, but I think there was also a bit of, I don't know, like a self-awareness to it that like, and, and I don't know, maybe because the first one was so bad that it was like, there's nowhere left to go, but up, but this was a massive upgrade in quality. And 
the Angry Birds movie too is just, I don't know. It was just really, really good. I liked it. I, yeah. and I think you all would too. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I, I didn't hate the first one as much as you did, but I certainly didn't go fresh on it. Um, but I, I thought this improved on, on the potential of that first one and the good parts about the first one. And my favorite part about the movie was definitely the music drops. I thought were really funny. Anytime that it had a joke with music made me laugh. And I actually got to interview Thorup Van Norm, Orman and the director, I mean, the producer, John Cohen, uh, for my channel. I'll put a link in the description and you should check that out. And they did a good job. It, you know, I always say that, that I, I think it's impressive when somebody say, gets, gets a, a job like that and does as best as you can. Like, I don't think there's a better Angry Birds movie to make. This is it. <laughs> I mean, it may not be the best movie ever, but they did the best that they could with what they had, I think. Yeah, for a movie based on a mobile game that nobody really plays anymore, I think they made about as good an attempt of making a good quality movie out of it as they could with this. I agree. I agree for sure. All right. Well, my next recommendation is actually a series. It's called Kipo in the Age of the Wonder Beasts. And I haven't finished this series yet, so I guess it could totally bomb eventually. But um, it's really a clever series, post-apocalyptic post <laughs> kid series, who knew, um, about a, a girl who's trying to find her family and she meets these kind of mutant, various mutant creatures along the way. And there's various you know, things that she had, monsters she has to fight. And, and it's very uh, well animated. It's from DreamWorks. And so it's got their creativity and it's very surprising and uh, very sweet at the same time. And so I, it was recommended to me by Austin Burke. And I, I've watched uh, quite a bit of it and I really have enjoyed it. Yeah, I was looking through this, uh, through the cast just now, and I'm like, Karen Fukuhara, where have I seen her before? And then I realized she's Katana from the god-awful Suicide Squad movies. Oh. Like, literally anything she does outside of that is an immediate step up for her. And then D. Bradley Baker's in there, my man D. Bradley Baker, who has been just a voice actor in so many things related to like Star Wars and just Phineas and Ferb, and he was Daffy yeah. Duck in Space Jam. I was today years old when I learned that. <laughs> and he's just a voice, like, voice yeah, actor. he's a legend. There. He's a legend, yes. And mm. uh, Sterling K. Brown is in there, too. Dan Stevens is in there. So this is a surprisingly stacked cast. I had no idea this was even a thing. So yeah. I I'm, I'm going through a bit of a lesson right now of... of underrated tv shows that i gotta watch yeah yeah it's an example of totally a hidden gem that people don't even know and it's uh it's it's very very well done and the animation is so creative and clever so even if you just watch it for that i think you'll enjoy it so what is your next pick so my next pick and this is this is one of this is a documentary that i just remember watching all the time on stars and then, and then I forgot about for a while, but then I was scrolling through. I'm like, wait. And then it was like a flood of good memories just waved over me. It's the Pixar story from 2007. Uh, this is a documentary about, well, the Pixar story, pretty much their inception all the way up until present time, which is about 2007. And man, have a lot of things changed over the past decade or so, like 50. 
17, five, almost 15 years after this documentary was released. And even still, this is a pretty informative documentary, at least for me. Uh, the John Lasseter parts are kind of weird watching now, considering we know what we know now, but you know, he was still a founder, so he's there. Uh, but outside of that, though, this is just, this is just great. Like, watching Pixar in those old offices, like, creating, like, Toy Story, Bugs Life, Monsters, Inc., in those, like, cubicles, I was sitting there like, wow, they started out so humbly, just with the shorts that they did, like, Tin Toy, and, uh, and I can't remember the others for some reason, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. Starting, starting with those smaller shorts, and then going up to where they are now, it's almost like night and day. Like Pixar is still a relatively like, not even like a younger company. They're like at the point where they can like legally drive and own, own a home in terms of age. Like it's, it, and it's just crazy to think about. You would think that Pixar is a relatively young company, but like, no, they've been doing this animation game for years. And this documentary is, an excellent proof of this and it demands a sequel like or like Pixar the Pixar story to the next 10 years or something like that covering everything from like from Ratatouille up to Coco and then another and then another three like after the next decade or so I'd see it at least so if you haven't checked it out I do highly recommend it it's a very well put together documentary yeah, I think this is really an interesting documentary, and I know that people have their issues with John Laster, but I still think that uh, it's a, an incredible contribution that Pixar has made to animation, and it's worth you know watching uh, this documentary and, and finding out about those beginnings of the uh, of the company. Yeah, and also what's interesting is that Pixar despite the Lassiter stuff, has not lost a step. In many ways, they've actually gotten better and have yeah. maintained a standard of quality to where you say to someone, hey, you want to go see this Pixar movie? People are like, I don't care what it is, I'll go with you. Like yeah. even, even something coming up like Luca, I have no idea what that movie's going to be like, but I'm going to be there day one because Pixar has earned my trust in terms of like quality movies. Like even like the Cars movies, which yeah. nobody likes. I still are like, ah, it, they still look nice and they have mm. their funny moments. It, like it's Pixar. You can't mm. hate them, ever. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I would watch any of the Cars movies over any of the uh, most, almost any of the Illumination movies personally. <laughs> That's so, a pretty low bar do? to get over though. Let's I guess, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so low it's at the center of the earth. <laughs> Uh, so my next choice is a movie that I admit isn't like the best movie ever, but if you want a rom-com, silly rom-com movie, I think Runaway Bride <laughs> is a decent one to watch. You've got the chemistry, Richard Gere, Julia Roberts, and I like the overall, the overall sort of idea of the, the movie where Julia Roberts' character, it just kind of becomes whoever her partner needs her to be when she's with that person instead of being herself. And by the end of the movie, she kind of realizes that she needs to have her own views and her own opinions. And there's this whole thing of her 
she'll just eat whatever eggs that the person she's with likes and so by the end they get her to try like 25 different kinds of eggs and so she's able to determine this is the one that i like the most and yes it's good to be sort of accommodating but it's also important to know who we are and what we want out of life and not just become whoever our partner needs us to be and so i kind of like that little message within the movie and it's and it's just it's a cute little rom-com i would say the only thing i really know about this movie is when um is when um, is when Julia Roberts was on James Corden's show and they were doing the roll call bit where they were doing little bits from every like movie the person's been in and they got to Runaway Bride and like and 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 Julia's running on the green screen and James is like please stop 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 and she's like no way and she runs faster <laughs> but in the green screen and James is like Ugh. like that that's all I know about it but it's I just found that to be really funny, but that's, that's all I know about this movie other than it has Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, or am I thinking Pretty Woman? Well, they're both. Oh. Yeah. So they have, you know, they have good chemistry and this one, I mean, it it has a lot of grown inducing things that aren't the best, but uh, I still overall enjoy it. Yeah. Mm. So what is your next pick? So my next pick, and well, here's our trademark hard left turn, going from a cute little rom-com to a uh, Liam Neeson movie about someone stealing his identity. It's unknown. Uh, this was directed by Wami Colette Sarah, who Neeson and Sarah would direct would work together on several projects, including Nonstop and uh, the airplane. Or, no, no, the train movie, The Commuter. Oh, The Commuter. Which I yeah. liked. I thought that, but I haven't seen that many of these of these movies. I like I like this unofficial Liam Neeson Sarah vehicles like trilogy. Like mm-hmm. it's it's gonna have a name because to me the <laughs> to me these movies are like pizza. Like even the ones that are kind of mediocre are still gonna be fun to watch. And unknown is especially fun to watch. It's my favorite of these recent bunch. It it tells the story of a man named Dr. Martin Harris, who is in Berlin, Germany for a conference. However, he gets in a car accident and wakes up in a coma. He goes to find his wife and his wife is like, I'm sorry, who are you? He's like, I'm your husband, Dr. Martin Harris. And then another guy walks in and he's like, no, I'm Dr. Martin Harris. And it's like the Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each okay. other. But in reality, Liam Neeson's character knows something is wrong and he's got to find out what that wrong thing is and and he and Diane Kruger team up to find out what it is this movie feels like like something Hitchcock would have directed but like two completely different directing styles like in terms of premise this sounds exactly like a wrong man kind of thing or not necessarily a wrong man but like a uh like a man thank you an innocent man uh, Liam Neeson's really good in there. I think he has stored the fountain of youth somewhere and he is not letting us find it because even though he's in his late 50s by this point, or I believe early 60s, somewhere around there, he still is like, he's still kicking butt and taking names. And there are more than a few tension-filled scenes, especially near the end where he finally pieces together who he is and he's like, there's a bomb in this hotel and he has to find it. And then he just is like, uh and there are these moments where he's like he's got to walk things back it's like that moment when you walk into a room and you're like what did i just walk in here to do and you got to retrace your steps 
think that, but like times a thousand. And the end fight alone is worth the price of admission. This is a particularly tasty mystery. Let's just say that. Uh, Liam Neeson's in there. Diane Kruger's in there. January Jones is in there. She's good. Uh, Frank Langella, who's always great, is in there too. If you haven't seen it, like I said, it's very much like, it's not trying to be like a deeper meaning or message kind of thing. This is very much like a, I don't want to say like, yeah, disposable mystery, but it's still a lot of fun regardless. Yeah, that's a pretty good cast. I was just looking it over. Diane Kruger, Aiden Quinn, Frank Langella, uh, of course, Liam Neeson, January Jones is mm, not the best, but she's fine. And so that's pretty good. Pretty good cast in this. Uh, so that's definitely intriguing. Uh, so my next pick is another left turn <laughs> and we're going to the animated world. Very underrated is Surf's Up and Surf's Up kind of got lost in the shuffle with Happy Feet kind of won the day. But I think that Surf's Up may be even better than Happy Feet, even though I have a soft spot in my heart for Happy Feet because it's bonkers and ridiculous. But Surf's Up is set up kind of a, as a animated documentary is the idea uh, that they're making documentary about the surfing and surfing penguins and this big surf competition. And you have the lead character whose big dream is to become a surfer. And it's, it's really charming. Jeff Bridges, Shia LaBeouf, Zoe Deschanel, John Heater, James Woods. I mean, so great cast. And the animation's really lovely. And I think it deserves a little bit more love than it gets. Yeah, I remember hearing, I remember seeing this and like, okay, that, that was good. But then the more, the more I went on, the more I saw people talking positively about it. And I think it escaped my memory because there were also some direct-to-DVD adaptations and even one where there was a bunch of WWE wrestlers. One of them was Undertaker as a penguin and I am a wrestling fan, but even that I was like, I have standards. Like, like come on. <laughs> it was but, so bad. Well, and it wasn't even a surfing movie at all. The Surf's Up 2, it was trying to be Indiana Jones and Tomb Raider and and they're hardly on the water at all, which but is, uh, yeah. Indiana Jones with penguins. That's a weird flex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they totally missed the spirit and the fun of the original. I hated that movie and the second one. Uh, but this one is actually good. Yeah, I don't know what they were getting way too creative with animation in WWE the last few years. It's, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. Like with Surf's Up, and then they team up with the Flintstones and the Jetsons, and and, and I Tom love and Jerry, too. I, yeah, yeah, them too. And I love the Flintstones and the Jetsons, but like I said, even I have my limits. <laughs> yes. So, what is your last pick? So my last pick, and uh, I feel like I'm going to be talking about this movie a lot because spoiler alert, it's on the upcoming movie Nerds Club list, at least mine. It's on there somewhere. It's War Horse. Uh, this was directed by Steven Spielberg. We all know who he is. And like I said in that video, I feel like with Spielberg, there's like a select few movies of his that are subtly great, but because he also directed Raiders, Jaws, Close Encounters, 
is like there's a definite top tier Spielberg and then there's others that are really good and by if they were directed by literally anyone else people would be like that's one of the best of the year but it's Spielberg so it's like there's top tier and then there's like just slightly below it but I've loved this movie ever since I first saw it. It tells the story of a young man named Albert who gets this horse and he names him Joey. And this movie is divided into two halves. The first half is about saving the family farm from a foreclosure who is really wanting to foreclose on the land. And then the second half is when the horse gets drafted into World War I and his quest to get back to his beloved owner. And the second half of this movie is truly something special. Like this is Spielberg, so of course it's gonna be really good, but even some of the, some of the sequences are just like genuinely jaw-droppingly just beautiful and intense. There's a scene in which the horse is running through these foxholes and bombs are going off, and eventually one bomb goes off, the horse goes and gets caught in barbed wire. It's the most terrifying thing this young man had ever seen. Like, this was 2011, so please keep that in mind. And then the scene after that is where the Brits and the Germans are opposite each other. They're at a stalemate. They see the horse. They're like, okay, who's going out there? And, and they're like, not us. The Germans could be out there. And there's this thing. And then, then one of the Brits is like, all right, I'll go. Gets the white flag. And he's like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And Peregrine Pastures gives me repose gets to gets to the horse, starts to unclip him from the barbed wire because it's just so brutal. Like he's so stuck in this barbed wire. It's just hard to watch. Then a German comes along and he's like, I want the horse. And then the Brit is like, I want the horse. And so the two, the two flip a coin to decide who gets the horse. And the Brit eventually wins and then they cut him and let him go free. But just that entire scene, I'm not doing it justice. And I'm not doing this whole movie justice. It's one of Spielberg's sleeper hits and unfortunately Spielberg also directed a bunch of other movies that are just as good if not better and because of that people sleep on some others that are really good so if you haven't seen War Horse like you won't be sorry. Yeah I think that it's an excellent film I I do sometimes think that some of on the on the opposite side of what you're saying with Spielberg I think that some of his lighter films are elevated because they have the Spielberg name and if they were directed by anybody else they wouldn't get such a claim Bridge of Spies especially <laughs> uh, but this one I think is worthy of the acclaim that it did get and even more so and it's one of those best picture nominees that just because there's so many now that I think they get kind of even though you say how can that be underrated I think it it is somehow managed to be underrated and it's very solid and yeah that scene with the barbed wire is devastating mm, that's definitely yeah. the most impactful scene of the whole movie for sure and the craziest thing is that that horse survived it and it's like it's like mm -hmm. it could have been so much like a jumping the shark kind of moment but it really isn't yeah. and then the scene after that where where the owner finally finds the horse and like like he's been kind of burned by mustard gas so he's blind but he's like he gives him the call like woo -woo! and then the horse is like that's my owner calling me and then there's the scene where brendan gleason is like i want to buy the horse for my daughter and then he eventually is like you can have him like it's just beautiful stuff it really is yeah. It's it's excellent. I think it's a very good choice. I, I think it's always good when you have these movies 
for kids that uh, are ways of introducing almost whole genres of filmmaking to kids in a way that's not going to be too traumatizing. Like I like having, this is, I think, an approachable war movie that you could watch with your kids, uh, you know, and then having like horror movies that are appropriate, having just, so that way your kids get to see, oh, maybe I like this kind of a thing and you can help them to kind of understand what they will like without it being too upsetting. And so I think this is a very good one if you're wanting to introduce your kids to the whole genre. Yeah, it's a good gateway drug to Spielberg as well. Yeah, like, I agree. Introduce them with this and then blow their minds with Jaws. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So my last pick is a documentary. It's called Murder Among the Mormons. This is a three episode uh, true crime documentary docuseries. And this is a, a very interesting film, especially if you are uh, a Latter-day Saint like I am or Mormon as they say in the movie uh, and it's about what happened in the 1980s with this guy named Mark Hoffman who ga gained a name for himself as a uh, as a finder of historical documents particularly ones revolving around the church is what got the most headlines but he had all different kinds not even just for the church he had all different kinds of historical documents he supposedly found a poem by emily dickinson there was all this stuff and as it turns out that he was for he was a, like a master forger and, and he could he could convince uh, like the most experts i mean it took uh it took incredible feats to try to 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 determine that they were forgeries and he was very, 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 very good at what he did. And as things are sort of unraveling, he ends up murdering uh, two people with bombs that he sets off. And it was this huge thing of, of uh, who's setting off these bombs and what's happening and uh, the investigation. And so the documentary not only takes you down the, the, the road of Mark Hoffman and who he is and how he became what he did, but it's also taking you down the investigation and, and how they were able to finally figure out that he was the one who did, who did it because everyone thought, oh, he's just a nice guy. He's like everybody else. His wife had no idea. Everybody around him had no idea. And uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. And it's kind of fun also as a Utah to see sort of Utah in the 80s. You got all the the local broadcasters and all the <laughs> things. And uh, it's very interesting. I mean, I I had obviously known about Mark Hoffman for many years. I've heard about him and talked to, heard stories about him. And so to, to get to watch the documentary was fascinating. I like true crime documentaries a lot. And uh, and so I, I think the only flaw that I would have with the documentary was that the third episode is maybe a, a touch too celebratory as far as his like incredible genius with forgeries. And that's like true, but it makes you a little uncomfortable when they've hardly spent any time on the victims and their lives and like what they could have done and, and their families and how it impacted them. And you spend a whole episode on how incredible he was at, at imitating the inks and the papers and the handwriting and, you know, all that stuff. Like, yes, that's interesting, but it made, it made me slightly uncomfortable that we were, we were kind of praising him a little, maybe a little too much considering he killed two people. Yeah. It kind of sounds like, 
you know, this thing that we're not, how we're not trying to say the names of, of like mass shooters to try and give them more publicity than they deserve. Yeah. I don't know. It just, I don't know if that's an apples oranges thing, but just how you're describing it. It's like, well, this is how we did it. It's like, if the yeah. wrong person watches this, then you're basically giving them a guide to how they could replicate something like this. And it's a slippery slope from there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to do what he did and do it so well, but yeah, it definitely veered a little, not enough to ruin the movie for me, but that would be my one flaw with it that I felt like they could have toned that down a little bit. And we definitely could have gotten more about the victims and not only just the actual people that he murdered, but also the, the people that he bamboozled and frauded and, and, uh, and hurt their credibility. I mean, there was just a lot of other victims aside from just the, uh, the the people that were killed which is obviously the most important victims but that would be my one flaw with it but i still think it's a pretty interesting time capsule of the 80s and also of the church and also of the, how people responded to these supposed documents and that's interesting and how he was able to pull it off for so long and convince so many people that he was just a nice guy kind of scary so i recommend it i think it was interesting and it's directed by jared hess who made napoleon, napoleon dynamite. dynamite i was yeah. actually going to bring that up i'm like wow that's quite a range going from something so oddball like napoleon dynamite like you're gonna have your tots like to this serious documentary about yeah. a very well publicized mormon scandal it's yeah. like it's like one of the Farrelly brothers directing something about like the Manson family. It's like, <laughs> Hey, they did green book. What are you going to do? Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's what I think about it. So if, if people have seen it, let me know what you, th what you think of it. Cause obviously I'm kind of close to it being from Utah and also being a Latter-day Saint. It's there's, there's a lot of closeness there. So I'd be curious what other people think about it. So there we go. We did it all our recommendations so let us know what you've been watching on netflix we would love to hear what you have been enjoying there's so much on there that it's it's impossible to watch everything so uh put in the comment section what you've been enjoying and and ryan where can people find you they can find me on facebook twitter instagram and letterboxd at ryan cam 20 and there's of course my youtube channel which is just called ryan cam uh, we're recording this on a Sunday, which means my first reaction to the Studio Ghibli film Ocean Waves dropped, and uh, I was not a fan, but I'll expound <laughs> more on that in that video. And then I'll be dropping AFI Project videos for Raiders of the Lost Ark and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Those are extremely late, but things in my job have been hectic, so what am I going to do? But those are in the can, and they will be released this upcoming week if it uh, by the time that this episode is out. And then this coming Sunday, I'm very excited about this. Myself, you, Rachel, and Durbin over at the Durbania channel will be doing a deep dive into the Prince of Egypt to celebrate Easter Sunday. And it's already been edited and filmed and it's all ready to go. And just, it's one of my favorite videos that I've, uh, that I've made. And it's maybe recency bias, but I thought it turned out incredibly well. 
and I can't wait for you all to, uh, to check it out. I'm so excited to watch that because I loved recording it and I absolutely adore the Prince of Egypt. So it was really fun to get to talk with uh, two of my favorite YouTubers about, uh, two of my friends about it because I just love it so much. So very cool. Uh, so yeah, you, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Ron Tomatoes. Please check all of that out. I am going to be having a very special series this week on uh, the what would happen if there was the animated Oscars in 2000. They started in 2001. And so I've watched some, <laughs> some questionable questionable animated films the last couple of weeks but it's gonna be no fun one, to talk about no one should have to watch titan a and e alone <laughs> yes, that's right so uh check that out i would appreciate it also I have the hallmarkies podcast for lots of cool interviews and other fun content and uh, so thanks so much and please like this video please subscribe to our channel and if you're listening on itunes please leave us your ratings and reviews we really really appreciate that also have our patron group where we just had a watch along with paul campbell so that was pretty fun with the actor paul campbell and we're, we've got some more fun watch alongs happening so make sure it, that you check out the patreon we also have our merch store which has tons of fun uh, inspired uh, designs over there so check that out and thanks so much everybody we'll talk to y'all later bye bye <laughs>